Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and the demons have finally got out of half rat power and lifted above 70% and are now 80 to 90% better than the rest of the competition. Well, at least that's what my random David King quote generator is saying. But in all seriousness, the Demons displayed their devastating best in their premiership quarter and blew the Giants away. Be very afraid of this team. George is a laid out this week, but joining me tonight is once caller to the show and now an integral part of the lineup, Bin Man. Good evening, Bin Man. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Demon Landers. Um, terrific game. I went to the, my first game of footy um, at the G since July last year when GWS beat a um, very flat Melbourne because we were loading up and a um, uh, completely different experience on um, uh, Saturday night. Fantastic. Great to be back at the footy and um, just just love it. That that game you're talking about, I think, scarred me uh, because I when, I when I saw we're playing GWS, there's memories of of uh, losing to them, came flooding back. So, uh, But I'm glad that uh, we got the job done and we did it well. And um, I think the theme that we will see develop over the season uh, is one of ruthlessness. And it was that ruthlessness began at the selection table. None of us on this program, the experts that we are, Bimanda, thought that we would recall Premiership defender Harrison Petty into the side after only one game at Casey. Um uh, yet the D selection committee, who have the unenviable task each week of having to pink, pick a bunch of talented players all putting their hands up, they pulled the trigger on Adam Tomlinson ruthlessly. Um, in he, you know, whose place in the team last season was cruelly ripped from him when he suffered that uh, season-ending ACL, leading him to miss out on premiership glory. And, you know, we also had the option of bringing Joel Smith back into the side and... Neither Smith nor Tomlinson had really put a foot wrong this season. They've admirably uh, stood in for the likes of Petty and Lever during their, their early season injuries. And Petty, you know, he was an integral part of um, of the final series last year, the premiership win, an integral part of the team that was so dominant throughout 2021. There are no questions that his place is deserved and hence that theme of ruthlessness. Both Tomlinson and Smith they're probably even way too good to be running around a VFL level and that's no disrespect to the players in the VFL. It just shows how, you know, how sort of how much depth we actually have when you can have two players like that who could easily slot into the team, um, you know, sitting in the in the twos and might struggle to get a game uh, barring injuries. You do. Yeah, I'm, I was amazed. As I said last week, I was, in, I was amazed that um, Paddy came straight back in and... Uh, um, at the game, uh, the buzzword for me and my mates that I was uh, with that uh, was resilience. <laughs> There's, there was no thought about resting track. It would appear, play through the injury, bring Petty straight back in. Rivers was straight back in when he was still sort of looking a bit proppy and they've played him through that, haven't they? Um, you know, there's there's no seemingly thought about resting sore players at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was not so much ruthlessness because I think Tom Lonson as I predicted, was going to come out, but I thought Smith was the one who was going to replace him. Um, so I was half right, but, um, you know, it just shows one, I think, that, you know, where they rate Petty, 
Um, so he was always going to come back in anyway. So it was just forestalled a, um, you know, an issue that, you know, sorry, that just brought forward an issue that um, would have happened in a couple of weeks or even next week by the look of it. So, um, yeah, it probably, you know, indication of, of a bit of their approach with injury, but also how critical they see Petty in. And I think we saw didn't we, how well he sort of slotted back in in that position. And, and um, uh, you know, there's a few comments flying around on Demon Land, which I agree with around, you know, that having him back in the side, Lever back in the side, really allows May to be a, um, a bit more aggressive and play up the ground more, um, safe in the knowledge that Petty knows his system well and he can drop back. Um, you know, he can wax with um, Steve May about who goes higher up the ground. And, and often if you look at those high shots, it was just fantastic. I'll talk a bit about it later being at the ground, but you can see that he, he automatically drops back when May goes up the ground. And um, so, you know, he improves our, our side. So it's great to have him back in, in the side. He's a key player. And uh, a boy, that a very huge welcome back to AFL level for Harris and Petty because within three or four minutes of the game starting, the ball was coming in high and deep into our back line and Petty backs himself to take a specky. And I just love that confidence to back yourself, to take a mark in that situation, especially with a few minutes of being on the pitch for your first game for the season. Uh, it was a solid return for Pets. He did his job in defence. He pressured his opponents all night. 13 defensive half pressure acts, five spoils, five intercepts, three tackles, two intercept marks. Nothing flashy, but he forms an integral part of our miserly defence. And while we're on that miserly defence, and you mentioned Stephen May, kudos to him again, having a stellar game as the general in the back line. And as you mentioned, he's just flourishing with the return of Lever a couple of weeks ago and now Petty uh, back in the side, 24 possessions, eight intercepts, seven spoils, six marks, five tackles. And an interesting... No, he, he, was, yeah, he was amazing, wasn't he? He really was. Um, interesting stat about our defence popped up on Twitter. I didn't see the actual cheat tweet just a cropped screenshot so I can't credit the author and now that I come to think about it I can't even actually verify the veracity of the claim but I'll take it as gospel because it was on the internet so it has to be true the the table listed each team's number of games played since conceding 100 points and I think we were about 54 games since we conceded 100 points and the next best was Brisbane on 10 followed by Sydney 7 and I think Carlton on five, Freo on Gold Coast on four. And the list goes on unimpressively for those other teams. Now, granted, 2020 was a shorter quarter, had shorter quarters, but that's still an absolute ripper stat. And all credit goes to our defence and the architects of that defence for putting together a system that doesn't just include our backline. The whole team is defensive-minded, evidenced by the defensive work of our forwards and our mids too. And they're hard gut running to get back into position to assist our defence and help strangle teams into submission. Um, and speaking yeah. of, uh, oh, go on, you want to say anything about our, our defence no, and just, our, just the team defence? Well, well, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Andy, for interrupting. That's right. um, the At the ground, so as I was saying, it was the first game I'd seen for, you know, not far away from 12 months. And it's just a, such a pleasure to be at the ground to be able to see that because you don't, get a sense of that sort of swarming run, the back and forth. There was a chain um, where we broke back towards uh, our goal and, the, and we'd push right up the ground and the flood to come back was just, it was just something to see. And, um, you know, I, I really there's a few things that brought home to me is one, exactly as I say, is 
it's sort of it's it's an all team defence, and now I know we hear that all the time. And um, but at the ground, you really get a sense of uh, that everyone needs to be playing their part. And and as much as anything, it's running because you know, and only one player out of the uh, eighteen on the field have got the ball in their hand at any given time or pressuring the ball carrier. Um, the rest are doing that running up and down. Um, but the other thing that it really occurred to me at the ground and really reinforced is how hard that work is for the opposition to to stay with us and track us um you know they're an afl elite team had a pretty good team in it's not like they you know it was that wasn't a million miles away from their strongest team um probably um you know well yeah as i say probably most of their key players um uh, in um and you know it's early in the season so they they must be relatively fit in terms of um, but they were gassed in the last quarter and that coming to the end of each um, quarter they were looking gassed as well but they had just completely ran out of gas in the last um, quarter the uh, Giants and a big part of that must be you know having to run with us um, yep. and some of the vision I've seen on the shows just really highlights that you know how much running ahead of players that we're doing and getting into space and you know the one commentators of, keep saying it's like we've got an extra player at the contest all the time. One of the one of the uh, I can't remember where I saw it, but it was written about it that uh, some of the GWS players were cramping, um, so they oh, weren't just gassed; there was, they're cramping. Yeah. So <laughs> three or four players were cramping badly at the end yeah. of the game, um, and at one point. There was my player cramping who who just couldn't get like the he couldn't go with them um, and so they <laughs> started cramping while we were still running ahead of the ball. I think that was um, um, what's his name, uh, Lucky Whitfield. Would yeah, he, no, he, he got hurt. I think oh, was in that, that hurt contest. In that contest. And, and they, yeah, I think so. But, yeah, that we got a goal from that. I mean, I don't know whether maybe he was cramping, but he seemed to get hurt and we ran away and I think it was Oliver who, who ran off him and that ended up being a, a goal. Just going back to Petty, the other thing that, I, you know, Petty is a hard footballer. He really smashed into um, uh, Caniglio um, at one point. Um, he, I thought he was really physical and, um, you know, you know, really hard at it. So... I mean, some of the numbers were, were crazy. It was uh, we how efficient we were. We outscored the Giants by 65 points from intercept possession chains, which is apparently the best we've done in that um, stat since round 10, 2018. Um, and we kicked the goal for everyone uh, for every 21 disposals we had, which wow. is which is just crazy. Um, and for the Giants, we outscored from intercept possession chains by 65 points. Um, and for them, that's the worst differential they've had from that since 2014 when they were, you know, in Strugglesville. I mean, so it just shows how, you know, like such a key to our game is that turnover, as Ooze was saying on the on the interview we did with him. But, you know, they're crazy numbers. Well, speaking of gut running, and I'll bring this up here, that gut running doesn't end uh, with getting back and assisting with defence when we don't have the ball. Uh, there was a piece of play, and we've all seen it from the weekend, that involved uh, Tom Sparrow. If you haven't seen it a hundred times, jump on Demonland's Facebook, Instagram or Twitter and take a look. The whole sequence is phenomenal, and not just Tommy's gut run and tap and subsequent goal to Fritter. The whole sequence is a total team effort and embodies and epitomises what this team and the club is all about. It was just superb. Um, the team is playing some great football, and it's not just our stars it's the role players, and we mentioned them week in, week out, but it's guys like Tommy Sparrow and James Jordan, Charlie Spargo. Uh, they really elevate this team to elite levels, and I'll talk more about Charlie Spargo in my positives. He had a ripper of a game. 
Uh, and talk about Ripper games, I thought Jack Viney played a superb game. Viney's contribution as the bull in the midfield is sometimes overshadowed by Petrarca and Oliver, but his contribution is in no way diminished. He often, do- he often doesn't get the same numbers as the aforementioned players, but the grunt work and the second efforts are certainly appreciated and are an integral part of this formidable midfield. And we love a midfielder that kicks goals on this program and Vines has kicked a goal in every single game this year. And whilst we're talking about raining goals, let's talk about every Demon fan's favourite quarter of football, and that is our third quarters, made famous in the last in last year's grand final. Back in September, we went on a rampage, and that energy was bottled and released this weekend. The Ds were just simply on fire, kicked 10 goals, two for that quarter, and just quietly welcome back accurate kicking for goal. George would no doubt be very pleased, as was I. Incredibly, we had 10 individual goal kickers in that quarter too. Jordan, Track, Pickett, he's third for the night. Nibbler, T-Mac, Maxi, Fritter, Viney, the undefeated Bowie uh, with a long goal on the run and the weed. Um, and that's my notes for the game. B-Man, any other general comments uh, you want to mention about about anything I've talked no, about? Just a couple of picking up. A couple of your points there. One, it's spot on. That goal to um, um, that Sparrow set up um, was, uh, you know, you could have just drawn a picture of that and said that's Melbourne's game plan yep. because he started sort of on the halfback flank, yep. not far from the fifty their defensive fifty meter arc. He ran the length of the ground to uh, get that. The kick was the the central kick was a um, it wasn't a super well weighted but he could have it was a team kick into it was Spargo wasn't it who kicked it yeah Spargo um, kicked through, it to, to Fritch who was sort of running yeah. towards in and towards him from the, he was yeah, Fritch yeah, was coming from the fifty he arc as well the goal there. oh yeah absolutely yeah. he did the team thing and sort of tried so he did to the team it. thing he mishit that kick but you know the you know the team play was you know the to to you know to do that that's what they drilled he missed it and sparrow who'd run from the halfback line to get onto that um and then to have the wherewithal to uh, to you know he's not the quickest player but he completely outran uh, his opponent he but wasn't him. it wasn't just um, him running track was running on the side of him and all the way down yeah. you only notice only notice it later when after the goal kick but Wiedemann was also running down on the other side because he was right there once the guy kicked yeah. it. so they were all streaming down the ground and running you know all around about 100 meters yeah. and Fritch as well and then to sort of smash it back to have Fritch and then uh, you know that's been commented on a few times as well on the different shows but uh, the other Melbourne thing about that was they all went straight to to Sparrow, oh, not yeah. to, to the goal kicker. Well, so, they knew, you know, and Fritch knew too. He knew that the, the goal is uh, is uh, Sparrow's goal, yeah. and that. But that, just it was had everything, didn't yeah. it? That we it was the sort of that hard defensive run. So our midfielder pushing back in defence, his ability to stay in the contest. You know, if he'd not got that tap it would have been unrewarded running it was just that he he got it but as you pointed out there were multiple players running tracking that ball down the ground yeah. including track pardon the pun and so it, it just had everything in it that was melbourne and just the other general thing about the game I, I i i think that it's really important to put it in context that um you know the the giants came and gave their best crack um, they they played pretty good footy. We blew them away in that third quarter. Um, as I said last week, I think the, the sort of weakness for them is they're you know they're 
tactically they they seem to me to sort of they're 10 years behind the game in some respects they don't have that dynamic zone defense they're a really sort of one-on-one um, team Bruce was a huge out so um, but despite Bruce being out they were up 12 in um, uh, at the end of the first quarter in um, clearances they were up in contested possessions I only I think it was the end of the game that was I think they five up for contested possessions um, you know they were they had time in half was 70 30 in that um, first quarter time in forward half um, you know some of the stats belied how you know on paper you see the score and think oh well Melbourne dominated that game I thought you know that um, they played a pretty good game of footy and they they threw everything at us um, we were just too superior and it was again that similar of the Melbourne thing of you know we just they had their best quarter in the first quarter and they just couldn't do, they couldn't, they didn't score. They scored, you know, five points and we scored four straight goals, which obviously makes a big difference. Um, you know, I just think that that turnover game, you can put a lot of emphasis on the defence, but it was really the mids putting pressure. So their kicking efficiency um, was only 38% forward to centre in that quarter, um, leading to all 19 of their inside 50s. We rebounded um, them. So 19 inside wow. 50s, I think they... They beat us by nine in that um, first quarter. Um, we just bounced them straight back out, um, and you know, but they threw everything they had at us. So it wasn't as if, you know, it was a team that didn't come to play, and and we just sort of toyed with them. That that wasn't the sense at all. And um, you know, we we had everything on our terms. It looked like our game. We were intercept marking, of course. Um, and just back to Stephen May, I mean, he really tested his hamstring out a couple of times in that third quarter when he got the uh, the members in front of the members stand really up and about where two repeat efforts uh, where he spoiled within a minute of each other to put it over the boundary line was just 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 brilliant. And in that first quarter, um, he had seven rebound 50s um, um, in that first quarter, which is the highest amount of rebound 50s um, by a player in a first quarter at all this year. And it just, just shows what sort of form he's in, but also, you know, that, that like how miserly we are with our defence and our and our attitude. So, you know, just as a general comment, I think that it'd be easy to look back and think, well, that was a bit of a walk in the park. But, um, you know, I thought the Giants certainly, um, you know, they came to play and, um, you know, their numbers right through the game, except for that third quarter, uh, were, were, were more than respectable. And you'll just talk about May. Apparently he came into the game a bit crook. He'd either been crook on the Friday or the Saturday. I'm not too sure the timing of it, but uh, <laughs> certainly didn't seem like it. Um, yeah. B-Man, you wanted to uh, talk about discipline and the surge in our tactical segment of the show, so take it away. Yeah, so the like the whole talk for years now as Goody's promised with the fans was that he would um, the D's were developing a, a game plan that was predictable and we've talked about that, we talked about it the percentages last week, um, that fans could come to the ground and, and know what they were going to get and so even the most you know, the sea ball watch you know, watch ball sort of fan would now know some of those things um, but again one of the things that you don't really see um, on telly that um, it was just brilliant to see at the ground was 
there's just so many small things that are critical to our game plan that I, you know, I would call, um, you know, put in the basket of discipline. Um, and one of them is, um, as an example, is when they've got the opposition have got the ball on in the channels on the on either side, um, and you know, on the on the boundary um, line channel or on either side of the ground, um, and we've got a player on the mark, we we. Always set up when they say stand as far to the centre as we can to encourage them to kick down the side. So there's, there's that discipline. But if you look, and you can't really see it on television, but at the ground you can see it, you, you'll always have at least one player on the 45 degree who's inside the corridor, um, often two or three, but at least one player. Uh, and that's such an um, important bit of discipline to always have that because it means that if they want to switch, they have to take that player on. Um, and so one consciously is they're in the peripheral, so it makes it more difficult. But we got two turnovers directly from that um, uh, on uh, Saturday night where they did, did take it on and that player cut across to intercept. But it's it requires the discipline for every single time you um, have a stoppage and a player's got a free kick or a mark and he's going back is that the person on the mark is, is in in from it a bit to protect the corridor and then you've got that player who's run on the 45 when i say 45 45 degrees from where the person with the free kick is towards the their goal in towards that center corridor um and it just it means that that's that corridor kick is so risky and so many teams like to cross through through there we don't we don't cross hardly uh, at all but uh, except when it's go time um and um, you know, it just means that, that it makes that a little uh, more difficult. But it's really a discipline of, of someone doing it every single time. Uh, and there's any number, another, any number of other examples you could to look to in discipline. So one of the ones, and I couldn't believe it at the ground, um, is um, uh, on their side, their lack of discipline, um, putting someone on that arc that uh, Max Gorn was always going to run around with that goal that he kicked from outside um, or right on 50. You've got to protect that, and the Ds always will. So we'll always have a player who's who's up on that line. In fact, I've seen multiple players, um, you know, pointing and yelling at each other to, to switch on to get to cover that so that, you know, the players, when they run around, the, the fella on the mark who's on stand. Um, so that's, that's just another example. The I thought they did have of, I thought they did have a guy there sort of running towards Max. They had, um, uh, what's his name, the um, the young f- uh, the fellow who took the big screamer, uh, uh, Bobby he, Hill. He, held, yeah. he was there, but he, was, he wasn't – it took him ages to get there. Yeah. And then if you look at the replay, he's hardly running flat chat at Max Gorn. Now, Max Gorn, you only had to do any sort of um, vision of him in the last – he's kicked three. That's the four, third goal he's kicked like that this year. You'd, you'd be running, sweating on it. You'd be right on that line after the umpire demanding you get back. I, um, I guarantee and, next time he's uh, having a shot from there, uh, the team will have it. Well, they should because they should be doing well, their homework. Well, they should, but that's discipline. <laughs> and yes. so even things like kicking to the pocket, not breaking team rules, um, all of those little things add up. And so you don't, you know, unless you're they're, they're sort of boring bits of footy, I guess, but um, they did adherence to team rules. And there was one where there was a lack of discipline, interestingly. I thought Cozzy's, um, it stood out for its lack of discipline, him not handballing on to um, yeah. uh, Fritter, yeah. instead going for a rat. We were, I was, that was right on that line. Um, it was an amazing kick, like it bent 
bent almost it started off almost at the point post and almost hit you know hit the goal post so it was an incredible kick but it was definitely the handball should have been given to Fritter and it just was almost like the exception to prove the rule about our discipline it stood out so much that you know you see that all the time the yeah. opposition um, taking shots where they should give it off uh, you see it hardly ever um, with Melbourne and Fritter gave it to him um, as he should have um, I, I would have I would have been upset well, obviously if he got the goal take the goal but I still as a if I was a teammate I would be upset because really he should have handballed it over he absolutely should have and but it was sort of that was a lack of discipline and that selflessness um and but it sort of it was almost the exception that proves the rule um um, but as I say there's heaps of other examples even the little things like helping players up off the uh, the ground um, when they're down getting around players who've done a defensive act um, you know, being focused when you're manning the mark, that you're jumping in the air. You know, there's a million little things that um, that go to the way we play and um, for any team when they're fully switched on um, that, that are tiny things in and of themselves, but um, they have to be done when to be at the level we're at and it's just the discipline to keep doing them. So, um, you, know, I, you don't really see that as much um, on the television, but live you can just see it all over the ground. And and the most one in the discipline is, is as you noted, is the running, is the running when it's not rewarded. So the running up and down of a Jordan or a, or a Sparrow or Viney or um, you know that that sort of that's a, a form of discipline that's required. And, and there's some vision. I happened to watch a bit of uh, on the couch tonight. There was some vision of Darcy Parish for the um, Bombers, and they were stripping into him, um, basically. Basically, showing his lack of discipline of that sort of running when no one's watching, um, and none of our players do that. So, then the other one that tactically I just wanted to put on this is really actually a question because I don't. It's a question to which I don't know the answer. Is that again? If you look at our game, you know our game is built now on turnovers. Always has been, but they're really emphasising it. If you hear the coaches talk, Uze as well in the interview we did with him. Um, really emphasising we're a turnover team. Obviously, a, um, a defensive um, team, a defence first team. Um, now in footy, everyone's talking about all of the sort of media analysts are talk post clearance contested ball wins. That's us. Um, well, it's us and Alan Frio with a, a very, very similar um, game plan to us, as I was saying last week. So, um, you know, that those things are, are what we build our game on. And But I was also reflecting that this idea of, you know, us scoring quickly in surges, in, in bursts of goals, um, you know, that's also a huge part of our game. Um, so it's sort of we're very difficult to to play against um, because we're incredibly hard to score against. But the problem is just like on Saturday night, within a blink of the eye, it was 14 points the difference. It felt like within a blink of the eye, suddenly it was 31 points. It's like bang. And then when Melbourne get to 31 points, you go, well, that's game over. They're not going to lose the game from that point. Um, And, but it's that ability to surge and put goals on quickly, which is a really defining part of our the way we play. Um, and what I don't know is how they, like what happens? Like how do they trigger that? Like I, I think they sweat on turnovers. Um, they put the opposition under such intense pressure. You could see it often, it happens all the time, but it happened a number of times where they just simply didn't want to go down the line anymore because they were, you know, it was going to come back down the, the line. So they came in, inside and we got two turnover goals exactly from that play where they decided to switch it or even cut into the corridor and we intercepted it. 
Um, and so perhaps when they get that, they get the goal. But what I'd love to know um, from anyone who's watching or anyone who's got some ideas about this um, is what then? How do they how do they manage to so frequently kick three, four goals in a short period of time? Now, it's not it's too many games in which it's happened for it to be a coincidence. And um, in, in that um, documentary about the grand final, uh, I forget which one it was. I think it's the one on Fox, the the first one, um, they talked about um, May had said to, Oliver talked about May telling them to stop now, stop scoring, um, and that he looked at track and said, no, nah, we're going to keep going. And um, and then afterwards May said, we'll keep going. And so that implied to me that they have some capacity on the field to dial it up, to be more aggressive, to, you know, to take higher risks. And i just love to know, what, how, how they move from where holding to, you know, we're scoring now and we're going to score for the next five or six minutes. We're going to score multiple goals and then go back to holding. It's it's something that I, I've tried to watch it on the replay. You know, it's really hard to see what the trigger is and, and how they do it. So, you know, have you got any thoughts on that, Andy? About I have, what the I have no idea. You're more uh, cued into all that. Uh, I was just excited to see goal after goal and I imagine for opposition teams it's demoralising when you have a team kick, you know, three, four quick, very quick goals. Uh, it was almost like in that in the grand final. Um, no, I so don't have any insight gonna, into that. Yeah, sorry, Andy, I'm going to put it out there in demon land and see what I can get back and ask some more of the astute um, punters out there. And But, yeah, if anyone's got any, anyone listeners or anyone's got sort of any sense of how they do that uh, and what the trigger is to do it, what mechanisms do they put in place to make it more likely that they're going to score three, four goals? Because, as I say, it happens too often for it just to be a, a random event and we get on a run like other teams do. It's how we play. So like, that's what I'm saying is about our model. It's an integral, it's an integral part of the way we play, and I've only – that's only become apparent in the last sort of 10, 15 games that we played. Previously, it was just like, oh, okay, great, we've scored a burst of goal. But if you look at, you know, we break teams uh, and then we either stop and we control it from that point on. But we're just, it's happened so often that it's clearly part of our game plan and, and I'd love to know what the trigger is and how they do it on field. I posted uh, the the Tommy, uh, Tom Sparrow uh, thing on Twitter and I don't know how it then got... Uh, into Essendon supporters' hands, but uh, a few people had retweeted and had said, this is two Essendon supporters, the first one. You won't catch Essendon doing shit like this and embodies where we are as a team. Good players all over the park, don't, but don't play as a team. And then these other Essendon supporters tagged Essendon and said, show this to the players as to what gut running looks like. So uh, it seems that we're catching the eye of uh, some other supporters who want their team to play like us. And why wouldn't you? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you want teams to. I mean, we're we're the benchmark, aren't we? And um, um, yeah, for all the reasons we've talked lots about. It's quite nice being that benchmark. Uh, I'm not used to it. Uh, all the you know radio, TV, they're all talking us up to the point where they're all saying it's it's our premiership to lose. And I don't, you know, <laughs> me, my MFC SS does not like that uh, kind of talk. I like to be the underdog. But, uh, yeah, it's sort of hard. Well, it's not hard because I love hearing it, uh, hearing the talk. But, um, yeah, it's... Well, for, uh, your, for your MFC SS, to keep this in mind, is that I, I, I really think that we're the most dominant side since probably the... 2019 sort of 2018 Tigers side um, and you know before that 
Geelong and Hawthorne and, you know, the, where there's a big gap between mm. our best and the, and the next uh, um, behind us. But that's no guarantee. So the MFCSS to keep a hold of is the 2018 um, season by the Tigers. They went 19-3 in that season, were by far the dominant side and lost in a prelim. That's the beautiful thing about AFL is that you get all that way. You know, that's why it's two seasons. It's, you know, you get to the finals, you get through that first week, you know, prelims are elimination. So, um, you know, that's, I, I think that, you know, I, I, we're a lock for finishing top four. I wouldn't be surprised if we do go 18-4, something like that, um, this season. We'll have our down patch like we did last year in the middle of the season around the buyers. We load up, but um, that's no guarantee of anything come finals time. So we get a couple of key injuries. Who knows? So, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm not... I'm not getting ahead of myself thinking grand finals in, but the top four is locked in, I reckon. And on any holiday in September. No, I've I've told my wife that while we're we're up and about, there's no holidays in September. Used to be a staple. Uh, She could take it to the bank, but now not so much. Um, I also had opposition supporters sort of say to me over the weekend, uh, well, you've played nobody this year. And I, you know, I was like, well, I can't help who we've been uh, fixtured to play against. Uh, if you look at the fixture at the beginning of the year, we've played f- out of our five games, we've played four top eight teams, um, and we've had to go into state twice. So it's not exactly the. It, so we're the only team that made the finals uh, that have played, or anyone that has played four top eight sides, uh, Brisbane. And Geelong and Sydney have played three top eight sides. Uh, the Bulldogs and GWS uh, have only played um, two top eight sides. So, and a team like St Kilda, who's sitting in the top four, have played no top eight sides from last season. Now, I know it's all different. Who could have expected Frio to be 0-5? Um, Bulldogs to, to drop off a little bit. And Essendon and uh, GWS to sort of not make any improvements and actually go backwards. Um, we can't help who we play. We can only beat who's uh, put in front of us, and that's well, all. Well, and I also think it speaks to what I was talking about last year is that despite what the footy punditry were talking about, is it wasn't that even a season. There was a huge gap between the top two sides, three so or say top five, because Bulldogs finished fifth and the rest. That you know. There was no one outside the outside those top five sides who were going to win a grand final um, last year, and I think that gap has got bigger this year between us and the pack. Um, you know, not perhaps not perhaps it's sort of Brisbane and um, you know aren't that far behind as there's you know maybe that's equals to they were last year, but I think you know last season wasn't that competitive a season, and there was a big gap between the top sides and the and the middling sides. So for me that. You know, you're right. We played all those, you know, the sides that finished in the eighth. It's only what well, it's only the Suns who didn't so far. Um, you know, so that that's probably as much as anything an indication of where the competition's at. And I think the Suns will end up looking. You know, they'll they'll win their probably 12 games, and they won't be far off making the eight this season. So it wasn't a bad a bad win. So you know, we banked our wins early. It'd be really interesting to see how the other teams play us because. You know, I think that Carlton will back their own system in to beat us. So will um, the Saints. Probably Collingwood will. Um, so that'll be fun to those games. You may, you know, the, the other thing about the Giants game that 
they flooded back heaps and you could really see that at the ground. They really tried to slow us down, um, similar to Essendon, um, but I'm thinking those other teams may not and so they'll be, you know, they'll want to, as I said last week, I think they'll want to take their best shot at us with their own game plan. Um, so, you know, I'm really looking forward, for instance, to playing the Blues because they'll they'll go at us and even the Hawks, same deal. So, All right, but we're not playing the, the Blues for a long time. Um, no, I think round 22. Too, yeah. Uh, let's move on to positives. Um, my positive this week, as I mentioned earlier, was one of our under-the-radar players, at least for the, from the perspective of opposition supporters and even the media at times. Although, to be fair, Callum Toomey on afl.com.au did list Charlie at number five in the eight things we learned from the round so far. He said, and I quote, it's easy to get lost in the galaxy of stars at Melbourne, but Spargo is worth more recognition than he gets. It was evident again on sun- Saturday night as the Demons trampled over Greater Western Sydney with Spargo finding 22 disposals and a goal in another typically understated yet important role. Spargo's hard running up and down the ground and his forward pressure and sharp foot skills make him a crucial player in the Demons mix even if the premiership player will probably never get the kudos for it externally. The best sides have always had their players who are more highly regarded within than from outside, and Spargo fits the bill in this dominant Demons outfit. End quote. Um, It was one of Charlie's best games for the club, but having said that, we do see many of the aspects that made up Charlie's games this week every single week. Uh, We see you, Charlie, and we salute you, son. Uh, Big man. Uh, Charlie Sparger. wasn't he on it? Yeah. On the back of some, you know, quiet criticism of both him and Cozzy's game um, in weeks, you know, that they've got to kick goals and, mm. you know, you just got to listen to Goody. He even said it in, in, in the presser again is that, you know, goals are bonuses. It's all of the things that they need to do to, um, you know, all of those one percenters and the gut running and their role, that's what they're judged on. I heard one of the players interview, I think it was Fritter actually, um, after the win, who said exactly that. He said that he was asked about um, Cozzy's game, but it's equally applicable to Spargo's game about, you know, he's getting up and kicking goals. And it was basically, well, look, you know, the goals are the bonus. Um, you play at that pressure um, and your goals will come as a small forward. Um, but, you know, the, if you look at the two different ways that, say, um, Hill, Hill played okay for them, but doesn't put anywhere near the same pressure on as uh, Cozzy or Spargs does. Um, and, you know, they just uh, both had terrific games. But Spargo's running, uh, at one point he tackled heavily. He tackled someone, got dropping the ball. He's up the ground, you know, t- taking an um, a inboard kick into our forward line just 30 or a minute later. It's incredible the sort of running he does. Um, but he's, he's got a, a, a really neat skill, a kicking skill that I love. He, he, he kicked one to Nibbler. I think Nibbler missed the goal. But where he can seemingly kick with the outside of his his foot and put it into space. Very clever. I don't know if you remember it. He was kicking yeah. towards the punt rope end, and um, uh, he, he he sort of it's I don't know what you call it in golf. It would be like a a fade because it sort of comes not quite off the side of the foot, but um, drifts to the to the right. And he's he's so clever. He did four or five of them where just little tiny short kicks where he yep. got us out of trouble. Um, so creative. I've seen players sort of as we're going forward look for him. Uh, to sort of give the handball off so that if he's free, that he can do that and give off that short pass or that, you know, sort of accurate, shorter kick into our forward line um, because he does it so well. 
And the other thing about Sparks I love is he's like he, he must be hard fella to pump up because <laughs> he does anything good. He, he looks bemused if anything, you know, he's always, he gets down on himself and, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's pretty head down and like, he's another player who, you know, he, he played every game last season, did he? I, I don't so. think he, and so, you know, he's now up to, you know, I think he's probably all of last season and this season not missed a game. Um, same with Track. Track hasn't missed a game since 2018, I don't think. Um, so, you know, he's a, a week-in, week-out player, Spargs. And, um, yeah, I agree. It was one of his – statistically, it was one of his best games, um, but also just to the eye, he's the amount of pressure he puts on. Um, and, you know, he must be a real pest the way he's – I mean, hard to tackle because – and he has got a pretty good technique to drop and to draw that head-high um, tackle, which you love it when your own team <laughs> yeah. gets it. You hate it when <laughs> you give them away. Um, you've listed a few positives you want to talk about, so uh, take it away. Well, yeah, with the two in two groups, really. So the the overall positive, it was just – I just loved it. It was so great to be back at the MCG. It was – you know, it was 26 degrees when I took my seat. You know, it was, there was not a breath of wind. The ground looked in magnificent condition. Um, uh, the top of the Ponsford was closed, so that was a bit of a bummer. So stood uh, sat uh, dead wing in, um, uh, in the front of the president's uh, lunch area or whatever you call that room up in the Legends area. Um, a terrific sort of vantage view from up there, not quite as good as the top of the Ponsford, but what can you do? And so it was great to be back. Um, and so the team positive from that was the fact that coming out in that third quarter, I mean, they played great the whole the um, whole half. They really switched on. Um, it was just a pleasure to watch such a good team. And, you know, my, my friends and I were just shaking our heads at the thought of how many games I've been, <laughs> we've been collectively to the MCG where, you know, we're getting hammered by the Hawks or whatever and <laughs> just to see how good they are and um, how well things are operating. It, I mean, their system is brilliant. Um, they, they know it so intuitively well. It's just great to watch. Um, but, of course, you need quality players to take it to the next level and, and just we've got quality across every single line. Um, so the first half was fantastic. It never, you know, they got to 14 points. It never felt like we we're in any risk of losing that game. So that, that was that makes for a fun evening as well. Um, but the third quarter was like it was just demon heaven. Um, and, you know, 10 goals, 10 different players. And apparently I was amazed that it even happened, but uh, they said on the replay I watched later that it's the first time that's happened for 20 years. Well, it's a pretty rare thing. And, and I was trying to think, Andy, when was the last time we kicked 10 goals in a quarter? We didn't last year at all, did we? No, it's it's been a while. I think we've done a couple of like sevens, maybe an eight or sixes, but not for a while. The most I think I've seen, did we kick 12 in the last quarter against GWS, I believe, early in their, their tenure at, as a team? Um, so it, it was just crazy to watch. It was it was fantastic. The crowd were up and about. Some of the goals in that patch were brilliant. Um, you know, there was... It was just wonderful to be at the footy. The energy was up and about. There was a poor fella up and behind me who was the lone um, <laughs> Giants fan. But, you know, it was it was a really phenomenal quarter of footy and it was like we just flexed. It was like the sort of, I don't know, it was, that's what got me thinking about the surge, but that was a surge for the whole um, quarter. It was almost as if they got fired up 
um, by that 50 metres for, um, and I know you're going to want to talk about this, so dissension or whatever the actual <laughs> kick was against, um, it turns out it was Oliver. No, I didn't know at the ground. I had no idea who it was. But on the replay, um, the umpire explained to see me that it was for Oliver's, for Oliver's hands out, but it, you know, apparently. Um, that seemed to kick us into gear and it was like from that point, um, you know, we were all over them. Um, it didn't help for them. They got a 6-6. Six, six. They had two 6-6-6 free six, 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 yeah. kicks, which is just, you know, unbelievable. Um, we got at one point we had um, four goals from 17 disposals. The first four goals of that quarter um, came from only 17 disposals. I mean, that's insane. One every four disposals is a goal. It was incredible. Um, and and even when they got a goal, we kept scoring um, afterwards. And in that quarter, we outscored them by 30 points from intercept possessions. That's our um, the highest um, third quarter differential for any game this year. I mean, 30 points from intercept possessions in a quarter of footy. Um, yeah, just a, it was a phenomenal quarter. It was awesome to be there and watch it. Um, and just to think this is my footy team. <laughs> just we're just so good. Um, and afterwards in the presser, you know, I don't know if you've seen it, but um, he, the uh, GWS coach, he was just, Cameron was just like, he didn't know what to say. He said that the game was fine except for the third quarter. Um, yeah, so that was my positive. The other positive uh, I had it was just on a kicking thing. The kicking was fantastic for the night and just tactically it was interesting because they flooded back really hard and Melbourne we had at one point we had 10 marks before they had any um and some of them four of them I think or even five of them were intercept marks so um the rest were we were really clever is that they were flooding back um but we were super clever the way we used it so lots of short kicks that hit targets so um you know really high number of marks for us but that was part of the the way we were responding to their tactical, what they brought to the game, which was heavy, really heavy flooding. Um, but then the other sort of, so generally the kicking was fantastic. But the other thing that, that I just just love it was when Frida wheels onto his left foot um, and that kick that he put out to um, TOB, it's a thing of beauty, the, the kick he put out in front of track to run onto it where he marked and wheeled onto his left and, and dropped it in. That, that was just a phenomenally good goal. That was our first, I think. Um, just a just classy play um, and his ability to sort of get that space and to weight that ball um, is just fantastic what Fritz would he, And he does it three, four times a game. If they don't, if they don't cover that side and there's players running free forward of the ball, uh, he'll swing and uh, roll onto that left foot every time. Um, all right, let's move on to improvements. Uh, my improvement this week falls on whoever came up with the descent rule. Uh, actually, it's not so much the rule per se. It's more to do with the interpretation of that rule and the inconsistency with which it's applied across the round and from week to week. And I don't necessarily disagree with the rule. I think that verbal descent, and in particular any verbal and obviously any physical abuse needs to be stamped out. And I'll bet that this rule at the AFL level is being used as a lesson for perhaps the amateur levels and most definitely the junior leagues. And I'm fine with the rule being applied to abuse or over-remonstrating, but where I draw the line is the thought policing or human nature policing of this rule because naturally players are going to have a reaction 
to getting a free kick against them that they believe is unfair. It's impossible not to have that physical reaction by putting your arms out, whether it stems from frustration at themselves or believing they didn't infringe or the umpire got it wrong. A player putting their arms out in frustration, questioning the decision, is it's not abuse. And I know they've branded it as dissent, but really they're trying to stamp out it is they're calling that abuse uh and i don't think that is it's a natural sort of reaction to put your hands up like that and i just think it's being over policed uh um it doesn't mean the players are being abusive as long as they don't go on with it become verbal abusive or obviously physical which i don't think they do uh, how is there anything wrong with that? There, there had to have been a memo that went around this week in particular to penalise players for gesturing because it happened a number of times in a number of games, including twice at the against the Ds. And we haven't seen this level of the rule applied since the heavy-handedness dished out at the Demons in the pre-season practice match. It's almost they've ignored it for most of the season. Um, uh, and what frustrates me more is the inconsistency that this was not applied every time a player re- remonstrated by gesturing in the round or even in this match. Because in our game, Petty, uh, after the free kick against Jesse Hogan, uh, he remonstrated. He put his hands out and then quickly put them on, he- on his head. Um, it- and nothing happened. It was no-, no different to any of the other gestures that incurred the wrath of umpires during matches this round or, or-, or as we saw with Clary and all that. Harris Andrews' 50 metre was timid in comparison to the Carlton players' descent that wasn't penalised at a crucial time in that match. And that, that could have had an effect on the outcome of the game if they'd given a 50 then. But like all rules, this one will be tucked away for another few weeks until the memo goes around again later in the year. So lift your, rule, lift your game, rules committee. That's what I say, bim man. <laughs> Dissension. This is like what is uh, it? Is it yeah. is it abuse? Dissension. I'd, I'd personally be happy um, if Andrews gets. He's the only one who gets done for it. He. I can't stand the <laughs> okay. way he plays his footy. So I, I'd be personally happy if if he wasn't allowed to do it, but everyone else was. <laughs> In that Carlton game, um, Kennedy at one stage he was beseeching, both hands out, beseeching, walking towards him. Yeah, d- aggressively. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's where it, of any rule, it's really, it's where it's inconsistent. Well, that's that I have no problem really if they're aggressive and flailing and running yeah. at the ump, then yeah, that you can penalise that. But just to arms out, oh, what? That's yeah, not, Well, there on. was one today, I'm not sure if you saw it, I, there was one today, it didn't actually end, end up costing Hawks, but it, it certainly could have. Well, there, there was. was they weren't even putting up both arms, they were only... Both arms, if you combine two players, putting up one. Well, those t- th- there was that interesting one with uh, when Hawkins took a dive. I'm not sure if you that's the one you're yeah, referring that's to. Exactly, that, that's the one. Yeah. So yeah, then yeah. there were two so. players in the centre of the ground, just looking up at the the the, the screen yeah, exactly. and to watch that's the replay, the and they that. obviously saw the dive of the century. Yeah. And if he doesn't get done for for you know fined for for staging, I, I'll leave my hat. Um, and then the two players in the middle, the two Hawks players, sort of say to the umpire, "What? Look at that! Up oh, fifty meters yeah. <laughs> down the field." Well, here's <sighs> That's my ridiculous. conspiracy take. As I said, I said it last year. If you remember, I forget the, what the rule was. It'll come to me in a sec. Every year, there is a um, a controversial rule interpretation yep. change. It happens every single year. It happened and with the last um, year. I said the, it, it's it ha- half of. Uh, 
Say, say again. No, it happened with the, uh, you know, the space, uh, what are they called, protected space. The, that, yeah, that, that exactly. Year, and last year there was another one. It was there, I think it was around the interpretation of holding the ball or, or something or other. Every year there's one. Um, and I, I, I reckon it's, been, it's a conscious, confected um, thing by the AFL to create to create some bloody news. So, you know, every year, fail, bar, you know, the, every for the last 10 years there's been something in the middle of the season or at some point in the season. Um, it was, is the game too slow? We've got to speed it up. Let's bring this in. Um, you know, it'll go the way. There was a, the, the whole lot of noise already about it. Um, you know, they'll come out and say, all right, hands up or okay or whatever. I don't know what they'll say. Um, but, you know, it, it will be. It'll be chip um, uh, tomorrow's chip paper uh, wrapper uh, at some point. So it's just I, I really think the AFL look to create this sort of controversy under the guise of any conversations, good conversation, if it's keeping the AFL on the back pages. I just think it's hard because it is sort of a natural reaction. So uh, it's sort of you can tell the players yeah a million times well, don't well, react don't react but it's sometimes human nature to just react and sometimes it's out of frustration i think in that Carlton game yeah. in the early in the pre-season one of our players got frustrated um at himself and well, i was I track i think he hit the ground because he was frustrated with yeah. himself he got 50 meters for that well i think that the silly part is that is it's not they shouldn't ping him for 50 meters for putting your arms out they should the key word that you said before is remonstrate like there's a difference between doing that and remonstrating. Like the one, I don't know if you recall it, but the one, the Carlton, um, where Kennedy, he was remonstrating. His arms out, were, he was beseeching the umpire, walking towards him. Yeah, aggressive. Sort of with his arms. Yeah, so that, I, I think that they just need to, and that's what they'll do. They'll come out and do, you know, what we mean is they can't remonstrate. Yeah, and um, I have no problem with that. You don't need to define that and say what is remonstrating. Anyone can see what remonstrating is. And then it's up to the umpires' determination whether they think they're being remonstrated with or not. Well, they were obviously the memo went around this week because they were hot yeah. on that, and they the, the memo was probably you have to, um, you have to award the fifty for this. Yeah. No matter what you think, um, uh, you got a room for improvement. It's hard to come up uh, with room yeah. for improvements when you have a game like this, but uh, yes. Yeah, it was hard to come up. But uh, my room for improvement this week is Melbourne fans. Um, I was really, really disappointed that um, Jesse Hogan got booed. Um, you know, he was he elected to leave the club. Sure, it's tradition to boo players who have left a club, but, you know, he, he, he had a horrible couple of years or three years or whatever it was that in that period in his life. He, his dad died. He, he had testicular cancer. Um, he's away from his support. Um, you know, he made the decision to leave, which ironically, you know, we, we were relatively happy with and that enabled us to get Steve May. So we won out of that deal. History in hindsight would say it wasn't a great um, decision for him probably in terms of where he was at personally. He's, he's taken time to recover. It didn't seem to be such a great move for him. You know, he's a uh, he was a fantastic player at the D's, a lot of time for him. Um, and, yeah, I, I just really didn't like the sort of booing that he got during the game. And, um, um, yeah, so the improvement for me was Melbourne fans who booed him Poor form. Yeah, I don't like that either. Um, I can understand when a player sort of does the dirty on you and leaves, maybe give a bit of a boo. But 
Jesse really sort of went with our blessing, the club's blessing. He wanted to get the best deal possible for us. We did, um, and we got Steve May out of it and arguably possibly a premiership <laughs> along with it yeah. as a result. So, um, yeah, I, I don't like that booing of Jesse, uh, you know, sort of. Uh, and yeah, and I good. felt for him at that ground because, I mean, to be honest, some of these things that, why the barrier for him being at sort of elite level outside all the stuff that he dealt with, his body language was pretty poor early on. He didn't get hit up mm. or the target was missed or you know, it was within the first couple of minutes. I thought that's not a great sort of start. It's, it was always a bit of a problem. I thought when he was at the D's, his body language was variable. Um, but I really felt for him. He must have, you know, it would have been hard for him not to have thoughts about sliding doors thinking, well, you know, could have I been, what could have been if I'd stayed in Melbourne? He had a good support network here apparently. And, um, you know, uh, so after the game I had my binoculars on him um, and the the team were really, the D's team were really getting around him after the game and there was a clear affection for him, um, for for the older players who knew him, you know, not obviously players who didn't play with him, but for Gorns and Viney and, you know, all of those sorts of players, track, um, the clear affection for him. So, you know, um, I, I was pleased that when he kicked that goal, so, you know, pleased that he didn't kick, kick us out of the game or anything. So, but yeah, uh, um, I thought it was, there might have been one where it was a bit funny, he got a free kick, which was marginal and maybe the booing was about that, but he got booed at different points in the game, which, um, you know, fine, you want to boo Scully, then go for it, but I don't think you'd boo Jesse Hogan. No, not good enough. Um, let's move on to uh, Casey. I didn't uh, get to watch uh, the match this week. Casey, uh, with 16 AFL-listed players in the team, led the unaffiliated Coburg Tigers all day, ultimately winning by 35 points. Casey have now joined their senior counterparts at uh, top spot in their league on the ladder. I've read that they played some ugly football in some even more ugly conditions. Man, you just got to watch a little bit of it. Uh, who impressed you for the Ds? Uh, it was really just a shocking conditions. It was super, super windy. And, um, you know, it's a real problem, I think, that them having to play so often in the wind down there because it can't be hard – uh, sorry, it can't be easy to practice all your systems and, um, you know, well, We train the out there, is, don't we? Yeah, yeah we train out there. That's yeah. yeah. We can always go indoors. There, we got a big indoor area. If it gets too windy, but yeah, we train there. But you know, yeah. But in terms of match, so. full match simulation out in the wind, it's yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it was, but it was super windy. I yeah. mean, the ball was getting blown back. It was going wow. up in the air, and you know, so. Um, it was a bit – so I only watched about half of it. Um, I thought Dunson didn't, again, in the bit that I saw, he he didn't really, for me, set the world on fire. Um, Van Ruin is um, – he, he threw me for a while because he was wearing 42 and I'm, unless I'm having um, – some sort of footy-related dementia. I don't think he was 57 the previous week. So I was thinking, who's that strapping number 42? But he, like I said last week, he he moved super well. Um, the um, you know I thought early doors at least. Um, uh, Melksham he had he was leading our possession count at the end of the first quarter. Eight possessions. I'm not sure what he ended up with. But, 20, um, 21. He looked like he was you know he looked like he had the sort of intensity that you want. Uh, um, him to have and so I was pretty impressed with him and he did a couple of really clever things um, despite the wind his skills really came to the fore and so you know I think that he's a player I still you know if he can get that intensity level and get his head right it must be hard for him um, you know he's a not he's a 
he's an excellent footballer. It must be pretty hard for him to be this far back from the best 22. But, um, you know, I'm still not writing him off. So, um, yeah, eight possessions for him was a, a great first quarter. Um, and um, Bedford, you know, in the, again, sort of um, pretty terrible conditions. I thought he was pretty strong as well. And interesting, it's a good. I mean, last year Bedford keeps on getting selected again. Yep. Part of the, the Goodwin template is you just repeat things. Uh, last year it was Jordan. How many games did Jordan um, um, be the Matty Sub? And when he came in, Sparrow became the Matty Sub and played a whole. You know the. Um, and now this year it's Bedford. So, but the benefit for the difference for this year is Bedford can be the Matty Sub on a Saturday night and play a Casey game on Sunday. Um, so he's not missing footy the way um, Jordan and Sparrow did last year. So um, just on Sparrow, <laughs> Amish McLaughlin was calling it. He called him Swallow which, you know, during the call of that match, which I uh, had to laugh with. Must be listening to this podcast getting <laughs> yeah, confused. Must have infected him with some sort of Avery av- av- flu or something. <laughs> Well, let's go into our ins and outs changes for this week. It's very difficult to make any unforced changes to a team that has thrashed the opposition by 11 goals. However, we do have a premiership forward in Ben Brown uh, that would be itching to get back on the pitch after missing three weeks for various uh, things, COVID health and safety protocols. Um, They're not you know, sort of making it in time to be able to get onto the plane uh, and then a suspension. Uh, but he is back in contention. Uh, for me, the obvious change is a straight swap with Sam Wiedemann. I know that Goody usually doesn't make willy-nilly changes, but as we mentioned, particularly to a winning lineup. But if last week's change is anything to go by with Petty sort of coming in for Tomlinson, I think we will be seeing Ben Brown line up at the MCG uh, on Anzac Eve against the Tigers. you got to put in your number one forward into a team I don't think you can just have him playing out at Casey um, or missing entirely so I think he has to come back into the team uh, B-Man yeah I, I think that well, I have no doubt I mean I was I no doubt last week that Petty would get selected but I <laughs> have very little doubt that, um, that Brown will come back in we've got to remember this game is a big game on our calendar. This yeah. and they'll, they'll definitely, we'll talk a bit about it in a sec, but they'll definitely come with their heat, won't they, the Tigers? So, um, you know, they're going to want Brown back in. Um, they won't want him to play at VFL for, we've no for reason for, other than the fact that he makes our team better, but it's, hate for him to go back and get injured or reported again at <laughs> VFL level. Um, so get him into the ones and he'll definitely come back in. Um, yeah, it's definitely, weed will come out is, uh, um, you know, the talk about, he hasn't got a bank in he's I don't want to get go sort of revisit stuff with weed I thought he played great I thought that's exactly what um, um, he needs to do I mean if you look at the numbers between him and T-Mac in this game they're almost exactly the same almost exactly the same credit to weed he had two more um, intercept uh, contested marks uh, were two to zero um, than uh, T-Mac. Um, watching live, T-Mac does a lot more running, but um, up and down the ground. And, you know, he's he's lost his agility, T-Mac. So I think that really people, that really stands out. His sort of lateral movement wasn't great last year and it's probably even less so this year. But he, 
he's like a trainee. He he runs the same speed for the whole match and he gets up and down the ground. He You could never accuse him of not making those second efforts. Um, and I thought they're sort of different. People on Demonland had different takes on what um, Goody's comments were about Weed um, after the game and um, where he pumped him up and said that, you know, he did the things that he needs to do, the intensity, spoiling, bring the ball, you know, two goals directly from him competing and bring the ball to ground, kick a goal himself. Um, so, you know, uh, Goody was on the money, but I read them as um, more, more about they're the things than the non-negotiables. These are the things, the contest you've got to bring to the game. Um, so you can go back to Casey. You're not far away from senior selection. Keep working on those things um, and that you'll get your crack. And he, he may well. Um, he's definitely more agile than T-Mac. So, um, but, you know, just on the T-Mac hasn't done anything wrong. So it's not like... You know, if, uh, he kicked four goals weed a couple of weeks ago, but it's not like he's dominated so obviously that T Mac is left in his wake. Quite the contrary, um, and you know, I think that there's a couple of things that I saw with I think where he's still got to work on it, weed. And again, I don't want to, to get down on him, but with ten minutes twenty two on the clock um, in that last quarter, weed it was one on two after track had cleared a defensive fifty with a sort of barrel into into space. Um, and it was just one of those clearing kicks that we do so often. And it left Weed in a contest with two two uh, Giants players. They won the ball, which they were always probably going to, two on one. But Weed got around the, the Giants player who was shepherding, um, but just wasn't desperate enough to put pressure um, for, on the, the Giants player who had it. And he was able to kick up the field and hit a target. Um, whereas, you know, so many of the other players with that desperate lunge, even if they don't actually or pressure act, even if they don't touch them, seems to, to so often just do enough to cause a turnover. Um, and you know, as, as we've talked about, we're a turnover team. We're all about the turnover and it's those little acts that create turnovers, even if you don't touch them. And he, he just wasn't switched on and it was like he took half a second to realise, oh, I could get to this player, um, but it wasn't instinctive. Um, and you compare that to the desperation made it in the end of the third quarter with those two desperate acts. So, you know, that's the difference in intensity. Um, and then with um, about seven minutes to go, um, Taylor um, uh, muscled him out and read the ball too easily against Wheat. Um, he dropped the mark and we ended up crumbing it and getting it forward. Um, and we, we ended up getting a goal from it. But it was ex- that sort of contest where he's just got to show a bit more intensity. I think he played great, but he'll. I, I think he'll go back to Casey and they'll give him those things to focus in on um, and track the incumbent. Uh, sorry, T-Max the incumbent and he'll, he'll stay in. So one change this week, uh, unless there's some injuries. Um, Brown comes in for Weed. Now, let's uh, turn our attention to our opposition. I haven't watched the Tigers so much this season. Their only two wins have come against uh, teams we've easily dispatched this season and their losses have come against teams that did not uh, even play uh, finals in 2021. Big man, is their dynasty over? Uh, Do they have anything in their arsenal that is likely to worry us? Uh, They definitely have definitely in their arsenal that they have um, to worry. I mean, they'll, you know, I, I think their, their dynasty or their dynasty, whichever, dynasty. whichever side of the South Australian <laughs> body you're on, um, um, is over. I mean, it's interesting because 
uh, are they rebuilding? They've brought in younger players, um, but they've lost some of their key things that have make them a premiership threat. Um, so I think they'd make, if they do make finals, it'll be the bottom end of the eight, and so they're no threat for the grand final. So you'd suggest that their dynasty dynasty is is well and truly over, and whether they can rebuild. That, you know, they're just like us. Their whole game plan is built on on running, defensive running, and and winning that post clearance um, contested ball. Um, and they're you know been nowhere near it except in the win. So they've gone loss, win, loss, win, loss. They beat the dogs, of course. So you know on their day they can beat any team with that intensity. Um, the question is, you know, they bring their full intensity and we don't. Of course, there's a um, a risk, um, but we're in that spot where it's you're pretty confident, eh, Andy? That every time we play, we're going to be playing upwards of 80% of our uh, intensity. The other thing about the Tigers is that they've given up um, 100 points now in all bar uh, um, two games, and um, you know they won those two games. But you know that's they defensively that was one of their hallmarks they were like us very hard to score against um and you know they've been opened up time and time again uh they had tarrant who got completely towed up by um taylor um and himmelberg um was also dominant in that game that was a really eye-opener um adelaide were harder at the ball at the end they ran harder they were fitter they had the Burgess sprinkle on them. Um, they really ran over the top of Richmond. That would have been a very dispiriting loss for the Tigers. Um, the things that they prided on themselves on, you know, they've got new players coming into the system and have to learn it, but their quality's dropped off. So whilst some of their systems probably aren't working as well, and the obvious one's defence without Grimes in that um, defensive back six, they look really thin for, for talls down there. Um, and you know, I, I think that they'll super struggle against our tall setup. Though you know, they'll that I can't see them stopping Brown. Um, you know, T Mac, um, Jackson when he's pushing forward, Gorney when he's pushing forward. They just don't have the the height. Um, so their their systems aren't what they were. Um, they'll bring the intensity for you know. I hate to say this, or maybe a, this is their grand final almost. Um, whereas <laughs> years ago, this was you know they were the benchmark we were looking at. Now. Quick. Queen's birthday, birthday, Queen's birthday used to be our grand final. So happy to. Yeah, that's right. So, I'm, I'm happy to troll yeah. some Richmond uh, fans by telling them that that's their grand final. But uh, they've got those so the three premierships. Them is can they score enough against us? Because uh, you know they've they've got to keep us to realistically they won't keep us to 60. They've got to keep us to 70 to have any chance of winning this game. Um, I don't think their defensive system and their um, they're pick and choosing a bit, they're weak, but they're like a team that's, I've heard this sort of analogy of like an old champion who can get up. So, I, you know, there's, I think there's very little chance of Melbourne going to any game um, underestimating our performance. If you listen again, if you just got to listen to what Goody talks about, he's all over this and saying that, you know, he, there's no disrespect for any team. Um, we've got a model that we've based and then moved on from Richmond. But, so uh, you know, they, they've got a similar game. They'll look to make it very hard for us to score. They'll attack us. Um, you know, we'll have to shut down Lynch. Um, we'll have to make sure Rewalt doesn't get a look in. Um, but, you know, again, the, the, they've got a big question mark of what do they do in the ruck? Um, you know, do they just run down Curvis? They'll have to bring think about bring Soldo back in, um, surely, to, to match our two ruckmen. Um, so, you know, they, 
they definitely can trouble us, um, you know. But I think that uh, I expect us to win to win pretty comfortably, and we might even be up for the game in the sense of, you know, maybe we felt like that against the Giants. It was like we were going to uh, once we got on uh, on that roll in the third quarter, we weren't going to stop. So maybe we'll get another shot at it like that. But um, um, yeah, I'd definitely be wary of them. Um, and if, as I said, they've gone loss, win, loss, win, loss. So on that alone, they do a win. Um. Yeah, I'm, I'm still excited about uh, the prospect of uh, letting some Richmond supporters know about their grand final. Um, yeah, so that's right. <laughs> I think one we can definitely use is it's their grand final <laughs> against us. So. Um, yeah, it's not uh, obviously not our home home game, so we'll be sitting amongst uh, the unwashed masses um, up in up in the. Uh, up at the top deck of the uh, Olympic stand uh, this week. Are you going? I, I am. I am Have going. Have you got tickets? I, I do. I, I, I had to buy tickets. Um, you've, you've worked it out. It seems to be causing a great deal of consternation, the whole ticketing. Uh, I don't know. It's good to see you've worked it out. <laughs> well, it's funny because some of, some of my family's memberships are – home and away games so I, I, I really str- I did actually struggle for a bit and, but I just ended up buying general admission in the end because it was, was getting a little bit frustrating because they don't make it so clear exactly what you have to do whether you use the barcodes I don't know I worked it out in the end yeah so, so yeah it's um I mean it's amazing to think isn't it this time last year this game coming up we were talking about it on the podcast being, you know, a great opportunity to benchmark ourselves against the team that perhaps was on the way down, but, um, you know, that had been a, a juggernaut really. Um, so it was really our chance to benchmark ourselves against the nominal best. Um, and um, so now it's the other way around. And if you remember... Just within the 12 month time. If you remember, it was uh, the Tigers that sort of got the jump on us. I think they'd kicked two or three goals before we had uh, opened our account. And uh, they actually, you can pinpoint in that game, the genesis probably of our premiership tilt was Spargo running down, um, I think it was Hawley in the middle of the ground, yeah. Uh, yeah. tackling him. And from there, we sort of turned it around and didn't look back. And... Didn't and really track that fantastic goal to the punt yep. road end, and in fact, time, I yeah. heard track talk about that game being the the point in time which the group started to really believe they could win a flag. Um, so, yeah, as I say, it's crazy to think that was twelve months ago, and the two teams are in, in sort of completely opposite space. But it was a huge win, um, and you know, I think that they will come out still looking to. Um, put a stamp on this game of days and to make sure that, you know, to be ruthless and make sure that the Tigers know there's a new, there's a new uh, sheriff in town and it's the demons. So um, I'm, I'm super looking forward to it. It was spectacular last year and it, um, hopefully the weather's nice and um, we get a similar sort of crowd as we did last year. Well, the crowd doesn't sort of matter to us because we're not taking the gate receipts, but uh, it's always good to play in front of a big crowd. Um, uh, we do have a caller on the line. Uh, I believe it's our good friend Terence. Terence, how are you? Yep. I'm. Well, Terence, I just lost you for a second. I... St- start again. Uh, can you I can. It is a little bit. Um, can you hear me now? That, that sounds perfect. Uh, 
Terence, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. I, I just dropped it out a little bit. I don't want to keep you guys, so if this is not going to work, then then I'll hang up. But can you hear me all right? Uh, we can. Go go ahead. Okay. Um, so terrific, um, terrific session today, as it has been for the, the last few. I've wanted to call a couple of times, but just wasn't able to. So I, firstly, I just really want to compliment um, the level of analysis that you guys go through. It's terrific for me sitting over here, the other side of the world where, you know, I don't get this kind of analysis, um, even from the commentators. And, and I did want to pick up on the commentators. I was going to say something last week, and I realized we can't control the commentators, Andy, but uh, I'm really sick and tired of hearing about, oh, T-Mac was out of the club and, you know, he's become a meat eater. And I mean, does Hamish, whatever his name is, um, have anything else to say? Um, and, and similarly with, you know, so, so many of the other anal comments that um, did you just sit there and thinking, you know, there's got to be better commentators out there, um, not least of which is Daisy, of course, but got to be better commentators out there. So I'm just wondering if either of you have any views about that, even though we can't control it. Well, have you ever heard that um, uh, Scott Pendlebury apparently has a basketball background? Uh, I've heard that three million times from the commentators. So they latch on to they latch on to sort of one thing that they one or two things that they know about a particular player, and they just constantly wheel it out. Um, B man. Oh, don't get me started, Terence. Go, Terence, Don't get me started, though. I have There's not enough time now for. for suffice to say that um, I've heard um, Tim Watson's been um, charged with crimes against the English language. So, um, but yeah, don't get me started. So, Joe Watson, I should say, is it Joe? Whatever, yeah, Joe Watson. The same, yes. Yes, the same. So yeah, so yeah, no, um, yeah, that drives me insane. I'm, I'm trying to not let it uh, upset me so much, and being able to get to the games, um, I, have to say that's I really. One of the yeah, I'm. I'm really pleased that you got to go to it. I wanted to ask you about Bedford. We haven't talked to you about him very much, um, and he just does seem to be playing really good football at the moment. I know that we don't change the team, but uh, I just really be interested in your thoughts as to where there might be an opportunity for him. It's, uh, I'll let B-Man answer in a second, but I would say it's all dependent on injury. Have a look at last year. B-Man talked about it a bit before with with Jordan basically all year was the sub got a bit of a chance to get in and Sparrow they went to the right. stub and then it sort of changed around a little bit but it seems that they don't change things uh, so that I can only see him getting a look in if one of uh, Cozzy or Spargo, maybe Nibbler, uh, gets an injury. But other than that, I can't see him squeezing in. They won't. I don't believe they'll just – as long as we're playing at Casey and he's getting full games, I just can't see them shoehorning him in even unless they rest someone as well. But I don't know. Bimanuel, what are your thoughts on that? No, exactly. They'll do exactly what they did last year. If he gets his chance, he gets his chance. I, I reckon, you know, you only have to look at the grand final. The fact that they didn't bring Jordan um, onto the ground, again, it goes yeah. back to my thing I said at the, at the top of the show about discipline. That they, yeah. I heard Goody talk about it saying, well, we didn't have an injury. You know, of course they could yeah. have feigned one. They had players, bloody uh, Steve May had, had a two-inch tear in his hamstring. Um, <laughs> but it's the same with Bedford. They're not going to shoehorn anyone in. Um, he'll keep being a sub each week. Um, and he's a small forward sort of cross into – so Nibbler's really his – the player who he would replace in that side. Obviously, Spargo and Cozzy too. 
but probably Nibbler is the closest player in the side to his skill set, um, and he'll just wait his turn. And if he play ends up goes through the whole season, it wouldn't shock me if he's Medisub for the whole season. It's again, it would just be you know they repeating things that work last year. They're repeating this year, so um, he'll play a lot of game at Casey. And I mean, all the likelihood he'll get his. He may get his shot, um, but yeah, I agree with Andy. They won't be looking to to squeeze him in or, or drop someone for the sake of it or resting someone if he gets his shot. All well and good. Um, if not, uh, he'll wait his turn. He also, you know, if he if someone does get injured in game, he's really got to take his he'd take his chances when he gets them. So if he does get onto yeah. the field, he's really got to got to take that opportunity. But as well, do the team things too. You know. I'm sure you're right. Okay, I'll let you go with the last question. Have we heard anything more about um, Angus Brayshaw's contract? Um, I must admit I worry a little bit about that. It would be sad to lose him. Um, I haven't heard anything. Um, I'm still a little bit more worried about Luke Jackson just in terms of setting ourselves up uh, for the future. Um, It might be that we might have to lose someone. Um, I'll would hate for it to be Angus, and I don't know if it will be, but, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. But, no, I haven't heard anything uh, yet. B-Man, you heard any whispers? No, but I, I – no, I haven't. I My my gut feeling is that I can't see Gus sort of leaving. I, you know, they'll come to terms on something. He doesn't strike me as a fella who's – motivated by sort of success elsewhere or money or different role. I mean, he's playing his best footy. So people talk about him yeah. being a mid. Well, he's won a premiership on the wing. People are talking then about his redefining the role almost, his ability to drop back in the um, defensive side. Um, I mean, that's basically what he's been doing all season. So, um, you know, I, I think that I, I can't see him leaving. They'll come to terms. Um, yeah, Jackson's the one that will be, they'll be sweating on. Um, but, you know, it, it raises the bigger question is the struggle of any team that sort of how do you keep all your players together? Um, all the great teams of um, players have had to take a haircut, even, you know, the uh, who re-signed even um, more. I mean, I'm not saying Colin the great team, but more could have got, easily got more money elsewhere. But, um, you know, it's a lot to be said for being a, a one-club player. And I, I reckon Gus is a sort of fellow who would put a fair bit of store in being a one-club player. And, you know, he's obviously tasted the ultimate bit of luck. He'll, he'll get a couple more too. All right. Um... I'm, I think I've lost the signal a little bit, so I'm going to let you guys go. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Terence. So, good on you, Terence. That was our good friend Terence, uh, I believe, in Belgium, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, well, I think we'll wrap things up there, B-Man. Thank you uh, for going solo with me tonight. George, uh, we'll be back uh, next week, and as will B-Man, and uh, maybe Terence will be back and give us a call. Um Enjoy, uh, enjoy the week at, at work, and we'll be back uh, next week after the Anzac Eve game. Go Demons! Go Red Leggers!